Well, it was a rainy night and cold, cold night on Christmas Eve this past year in Indiana, so two ago. And um, the kids were in bed and I decided that I needed to grab my keys and head out to do some shopping. Look, I've never done it before and I'll never do it again, but I, for some reason, waited till Christmas Eve to finish my shopping. So it's like 8.15 p.m. And really, I only had like two presents each for my kids. That's all that was left. So, you know, I went to Walmart, quiet car ride, get there. It's a quick trip through the toy aisles, snag some things. All right, perfect. Let's head home. We'll go and we'll have a nice evening of just kind of wrapping up the presents, getting things ready for Christmas morning. And as I pull into my garage and grab the bags out of the car, I have this moment of panic. Maybe you've been there before, but I realize that my purse was not where I always put it in the car. So, you know, it's like, okay, well, I probably put it with the bags. It's not in the bags. Okay, maybe it's here, maybe it's there. All of a sudden, I have this picture of me leaving it in the shopping cart in the parking lot outside. Well, I'd love to say that that moment, I just took a deep breath and prayed and, you know, walked into my husband and said, we've got a problem here. But in this instance, I just started sobbing. My mind started just going, you know, someone has my identity. It's Christmas Eve. I'm not going to be able to cancel my credit cards. Someone just swooped everything, my cash, my phone, like my whole life. It was like, even though I had these presents all around me, even though I had been successful on my trip, I was lost without my purse. Everything was in there, right? So I walk into the, to the house and poor, poor Mark, who I just love so much, all he hears is me sobbing and he has no idea what's going on. He's like, everything okay? Are you hurt? What happened? You know, it's just like, my purse is in, I let, you know, he can't even understand because I've got that jumping sound in my voice. And finally he finds out that I left my purse and someone's stolen it and the world is ending. And he looks at me and he said, well, have you called Walmart to see if anyone turned it in? Like... Ah, that's brilliant. Thank you, sweetie. Uh, And so I say, no, I haven't. And he he decides to make the phone call for me so that I can gather my wits, get my self-control. And sure enough, they say a purse has been turned in. Well, unfortunately, at this point, I'm so worked up that I think, well, yeah, someone turned in the purse, but all this stuff is gone. They took all my stuff, you know. I get back in the car and I get there and the lady hands me my purse and there's 100% of my things in there all of my credit cards, all my cash, my chapstick, my, I mean, just everything. I mean, somebody turned it in and I didn't have to look for anything. I didn't miss anything. And I tell that story because I just wonder how often we as women and just any of us add additional turmoil and problems to our life when it's unnecessary. I mean, think about the turmoil, the sin, the despair, the tears, all these things that I put into the situation that didn't need to be there. Had I wisely navigated through that time and figured out a godly response to it and not been dramatically unspiraling this big, big, terrible issue, right? 
how much would I have kept myself from more issues, more drama, more relational problems with my husband? I have to go back to him and apologize. I mean, all these things that were unnecessary. And I think that when we're in a low time, when we're down or in a trial or we're lonely, we unfortunately can make decisions that add problems to our lives rather than help us to get through it in a wise manner. And that's what I want to look at today through David's interaction here with Ziba in the first four verses of our chapter. We can see that he's low, he's down, things are difficult for him. And unfortunately, he makes choices that add additional problems to his life. Because when we are in a trial, when we're in a dark time, we want to look back and see that the choices we made helped us to get through it in a wise, godly manner. Well, I want to just remind you where we're at. Chapter 15, do a quick little, you know, where we've been. And chapter 15, we see Absalom, David's son, is trying to take over the throne, right? He begins trying to sway the hearts of the people to himself trying to win over all the people so that he can take the throne. And it works. His plan works. People start joining his side. David then, Yahweh's rightful king, is forced to flee Jerusalem. And we've got his followers that end up joining up with him, and he is leaving Jerusalem. And we see in chapter 15, verse 30, the people are weeping. David is weeping. We've got friends that are joining sides, some with David and some that are staying behind with Absalom. I mean, we think of Ahithophel, his close friend and advisor, staying with Absalom. And this is where we come into our passage today. David is leaving town. And this brings us right up to chapter 16, verse 1. So look at it with me if you haven't turned there already. Let's look and see what choices David makes here in these first four verses. It says this, When David had passed a little beyond the summit, Ziba, the servant of Mephibosheth, met him with a couple of donkeys saddled bearing 200 loaves of bread, 100 bunches of raisins, 100 of summer fruits, and a skin of wine. And the king said to Ziba, Why have you brought these? Ziba answered, The donkeys are for the king's household to ride on, the bread and summer fruit for the young men to eat, and the wine for those who faint in the wilderness to drink. And the king said, and where is your master's son? Ziba said to the king, behold, he remains in Jerusalem. For he said, today the house of Israel will give me back the kingdom of my father. Then the king said to Ziba, behold, all that belonged to Mephibosheth is now yours. And Ziba said, I pay homage. Let me ever find favor in your sight, my lord, the king. What we see David here is at such a low point in his life. And when we face low points in our lives, we need to do what point number one teaches us to do. We need to be on guard against manipulation. When we are low, when times are hard, when we are down, you and I, we need to be on guard and alert, watchful for influences. Well, I think we need to jump back a little bit in Samuel to just figure out who these main characters that we're dealing with are, because it's going to give us a complete picture for us to understand what's really happening in this section of scripture. 
Maybe I say the name Mephibosheth and it doesn't really ring a bell to you, Ziba, you know, who are these guys? So just turn back real quick to 2 Samuel chapter 9, just a few chapters back. I just want to remind you of who these people are. We see 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1. It says this, David said, is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Do you remember Jonathan? We're going back even further. Jonathan, David's best friend. I mean, just that close relationship that they had. David pledged an oath to him saying, I will take care of your family. I promise that I will take care of your family. Don't worry about that. You know, I'll make sure they're taken care of. I'll bestow my kindness and favor upon them. And so here in chapter nine, he goes out and he begins looking for anyone left in the house of Saul that he can bestow kindness to. And so he finds out that there's a man named Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan. If you remember, he was crippled in his feet, right? And so that put him at a low point in society. Back then, if you were crippled, if you were lame, I mean, you couldn't go to war, you couldn't work the land, you couldn't do all kinds of things. And it was just like bottom of the barrel in society. So he finds out that Mephibosheth is Jonathan's son and he calls him before him and he pledges just his kindness to him. He says, you Mephibosheth, I'm gonna give you all of Saul's goods, all of Saul's property, all of his wealth, all of his resources, everything. I'm gonna hand that all over to you. And on top of that, I'm gonna give you a place at my table. Whenever our family gets together, Mephibosheth, there's gonna be a placemat with your name right there. You can join us anytime. That's a huge honor. And from that point on, Mephibosheth and David, I mean, with this friendship, I'm sure began. He was at his table. He was part of the family in that sense, as David just showed his loving kindness to him. Well, Ziba, if you'll look down at chap, uh, chapter 9, verse 9, we see the king calls Ziba before him. Ziba is Saul's servant. And before Mephibosheth gets all of Saul's property, Ziba's the one who has it all. Ziba's the one working the land who's kind of taking care of Saul's property. He's, he's the one kind of in charge of all of Saul's goods and what's going on here. But Ziba is called before David in verse nine, and it says, all that belong to Saul and to all his house, I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. So now Ziba, we would say, is kind of the loser in this situation, at least from his perspective. He's had all this property, all this wealth, kind of he's been taking care of the land. And now this cripple, Mephibosheth, gets everything. And he and his whole household, all of his sons, all of his servants, they become servants of Mephibosheth. Well, back in our chapter here in verse 16, we see the same Ziba coming to David. And it really looks like Ziba is pro-David here, doesn't it? I mean, we see Ziba coming and he's got the donkeys and he's got the food and the wine and he's got everything that maybe David and his posse, his little group of followers might need on this journey as they're fleeing Jerusalem. So at first reading, it really looks like he's coming to his aid. 
David questioned Ziba, you know, where's your master's grandson? Where's this man Mephibosheth? I've, I've given him so much. Why isn't he with me? Why isn't he fleeing with me? And Ziba says this, he stayed behind. Look, he's abandoned you as well. You got people choosing sides. Oh yeah, Mephibosheth. Yeah, he stayed back. Furthermore, he's hoping that the kingdom is gonna be transferred back into his family line. Ooh, that must have been crushing for David to hear this, this man that he's bestowed so much favor upon. But this is where we need to look a little bit deeper into Ziba's story here. My first question, does that statement even make sense about Mephibosheth? We've got David, king, his son Absalom, next in line for the kingdom. He's the one with the coup trying to take over. On this side, this family line, Saul, We've got Mephibosheth is in Saul's family line. Why would Mephibosheth stay back thinking that one of David's sons is gonna somehow hand the kingdom back to him? That doesn't really make sense. It's not a, a claim that would make sense. Absalom's not gonna take over and then say, actually, Mephibosheth, did you wanna, did you wanna become king? No, that's not gonna, that doesn't make any sense. Secondly, why is Ziba not traveling on with David? I mean, if he's really with him, He's gonna join up with this group fleeing Jerusalem. He's gonna pledge his loyalty to him. He's gonna, oh, I'm leaving with you, I'm on your side. But he doesn't do that. He just shows up with some gifts. Uh, and what about those gifts? Where did those gifts come from? You would think that those gifts probably were Mephibosheth's, right? The donkeys, the food, all of that. He's a servant of Mephibosheth. So he likely grabbed all that stuff from his master and passed on the present to David. But the main, main proof here that Ziba is really coming with a lie shows us that he's just trying to manipulate David into getting into his favor. This, this uh, claim that he makes about Mephibosheth, we're gonna see it isn't true. Ziba says, you know, Mephibosheth, he's abandoned you just as like everyone else. But this is a total lie that he's made up. He's coming before David with the appearance of trying to be on his team, give him some gifts that aren't even his. And he just tells a flat out lie about Mephibosheth abandoning him just as well. And he's standing there like, you know, everyone else abandoned you, but look at me. I'm on your team. Here, take these things. And guess what? It works. David is manipulated because David makes a rash decision. Look down in verse 14, or sorry, verse four. Behold, all that belonged to Mephibosheth is now yours. He just transfers everything over to Ziba. Hmm. Well, you may think that you don't have Zebas in your life, that you don't have people that are trying to tell you lies and create stories just to manipulate you into getting something from you. But you do. You've got influences that maybe they're not a person, but there are voices that surround you that are trying to influence you away from God's wisdom and onto something differently. Listen to 1 Peter 5.8. It says this, be sober-minded, be watchful. I mean, the same thing that we're saying here, be on guard, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. We have adversaries out there. We have voices that are trying to influence us away 
from God's truth. And let me break it down into three categories for you, different voices that are being spoken to you in a variety of areas of your life that maybe we're not even aware of are great influencers of us. Number one would be false teachers. The first category is this idea of false teachers, false religious teachers. Matthew 7.15 says this, Jesus speaking, he says, beware of false prophets, false religious teachers who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. False prophets refer to people who appear to be speaking in the name of God, but their message doesn't align with scripture, doesn't align with God. And we can see this in books that bear the name of Christian, that might be in the Christian section in the bookstore, but the voice that's being told to us as we read it, we see it doesn't line up with scripture. We can see this of preachers on TV and maybe even friends or acquaintances, people that claim the name of Christ. Yeah, I'm a Christian too, but their words really show that they do not follow what the Bible says. They do not line up with what God says. So we need to be aware of those voices coming at us. Secondly, we need to be aware of the worldly wisdom that surrounds us. We need to be aware of the voices in our world, the thought of this day. We hear it everywhere we go, media, movies, songs, friends, acquaintances, people that they work with everywhere. We can see just that common self-help and advice statements of our day often do not line up with what God's word says. You know, you're the victim here. You need a little you time. Focus on you right now. You don't need to serve in your church so much. I mean, where, where are these, these voices out there are saying things to us that can lead us astray, can influence us, especially when we're low or when we're in a trial. The third thing here is emotional manipulation, <laughs> our feelings. And I have to include this one, being a woman <laughs> who has a variety of emotions that surge through me. But, you know, we're talking about being, David being so low, being so down already. And I know that when we are down, when our feelings are raging and going this way and that, we can easily listen to the voice of how we feel. Can we not? Even though we may know truth, even though we want to follow God, we can easily be swept by the voices of our feelings and go with wherever that takes us, even if it's contrary to scripture. These things can have a great influence over us. And we need to be aware of that, especially when we're down. I mean, all the time, yes, but especially when we're already low. And I think we can combat this by being women who are spiritually discerning women women who develop discernment. If we wanna be on guard against manipulation, we need to be discerning women, people who are maturing in our faith day by day, who are growing in our understanding of God, our knowledge of Him, and who keep fearing Him above anything else, thinking more highly of Him than those around us. Ephesians 4, 14 talks about Christians who need to grow in their faith, in their knowledge of Jesus, mature in their understanding of scripture. Why? Well, 14 says this, 
so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine or by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. I mean, we're prone to be tossed around when we're lonely and when we're down. You know, I picture a dry sponge. All the water has been squeezed out of us when we're low. And any sort of moisture, any sort of tidbit or affection or compassion or any sort of thing that tickles our ears, something that we like, we might soak it up just quickly, just take it all in. But we need to be on guard against some of the lies that are out there speaking to us. And we need to be discerning people. Discerning people, they kind of have this spiritual sixth sense. I like how Sinclair Ferguson defined discernment just so simply. He says, discernment is learning to think God's thoughts, practically and spiritually. Learning to think God's thoughts practically and spiritually. That's what we need to do in order to be on guard against the influences, the voices all around us. Proverbs 17, 24 says this, the discerning sets his face towards wisdom, but the eyes of the fool are on the ends of the earth. Is your face set towards wisdom? Or are you looking out at the ends of the earth, at what's around you, what looks appealing in the here and the now? We need to mature in our faith. We need to grow in that so that we can be on guard against the voices that we hear. Well, what would have helped David guard himself against manipulation from Ziba would be if he had spent some time collecting facts. And that's what our point two is gonna be for us. You and I, we need to collect all the facts before jumping to conclusion. If David had collected the facts, if he had spent time figuring out both sides of the story, what's going on here with Ziba's claims, before making a decision. And it makes me think of the game, Guess Who? Have you played the game, Guess Who? It's a great little game, right? You and your partner, you pick, you have this little board, you got people in front of you and you pick one. And the person that's playing against you, they're trying to figure out who did you choose from all the people. And so, you know, we play this with my kids and you're, you teach them how to play it. You know, a great first question would be, is it a boy? And if it's not a boy, if I say, yes, it is a boy, then you close all the girls, you know? So we practice all this and you're trying to narrow down to who it is. And I have uh, one kid, Andrew, my son, he likes to play this game this way. When it's his turn, he looks at all the board, all the characters, and he just goes, is it Susan? <laughs> like, Andrew, no, it's not Susan. So now you get to close one little door, you know, right? And that's it. Your turn's over. So I remind him, Andrew, what you should really do is say, you know, are they wearing any jewelry or is the hair color brown? I mean, just anything so you can kind of narrow it down. And so his next turn comes, he goes, is it Chris? Like, ah, yeah. You know, so one by one, he's just kind of guessing. He doesn't even want to do any fact collecting. And it's like, okay, well, we'll just win every time. Anna's always on my team, so she ends up winning every time. But I tell that story because we need to be women who don't just jump ahead right? We need to be women who collect some facts and get the whole picture before we make a decision. And I think this is something that we can easily do is jump ahead. But instead, we need to be good fact collectors. I mean, think about David here. What if he had just asked some more questions? Well, what do you mean by that, Ziba? 
Did you offer him to come with you? And he said, no. I mean, what was that conversation like? Um, why did he want to, what, what was his understanding? Of why did he want to stay back? What if he had even just asked Mephibosheth himself before making a decision? Right? That would have been the best thing. You know what? I'm not even going to make a decision here. I'm not going to transfer any property. I'm not going to react. I'm just going to see his side of the story. Or he had spies in Jerusalem, did he not? He had people there. He could have sent a message and said, hey, can you ask this Mephibosheth, my friend, uh, you know, why is he back in Jerusalem? Why isn't he with me? Why isn't he on my side? So we need to be people who, when we hear partial sides of the story, we just get a little bit of the information that we make sure we collect some facts. Proverbs 18, 17 says this, the one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. I mean, that makes me think about parenting my children. Someone comes before me and says, he hit me. And my first question is always, well, did you do something first? Well, yeah, I took his toy, you know? Okay, well, if it seems right. Yeah, you shouldn't hit him. I should punish that kid. But now let me examine you and see, well, what really went on here? I mean, this can happen in so many areas of our life. Picture this story here where you uh, have a friend call you up one day and they say, I saw your daughter skipping school the other day, high school. I saw her, she was in a car, she was driving away from high school. School wasn't out yet. I mean, I don't know. I mean, is she falling in with a bad crew? And your brain just starts going and you call your husband. Can you believe what she did? Oh, when she gets home from practice, I'm going to talk to her. You've got this consequence laid out. You've got your speech. You've practiced it in the mirror. You know, you're all kind of raring up for a good, you know, a little discussion, a lay down the law with her again. And you, you come to find out as she gets home from school that she's in sem senior seminar and she was let out early. And uh, her volleyball team went to get a snack before volleyball practice. And it's like immediately, oh, <laughs> all my planning and scheming and worrying and stressing out and anger and frustration, all of that was unnecessary. I think we need to be careful not to just react emotionally, but to control our emotions and to control the what ifs and the how dare they and the unraveling plans that we have in response to only one side of the story, only part of the picture. We also need to search the scriptures to help us navigate when we do hear partial information. Well, what should I do about this? Well, my daughter, maybe she did skip school. How, how do I need to wisely handle that? Let me calm down. Let me pray. Let me get some advice if I need that before I speak to her. But really, before I jump ahead to a conclusion, before I get angry with someone, let me collect the facts. And I think we often can jump ahead so easily and we need to be careful that we don't follow what David did here and just do that without putting in some, some of the detective work behind it. Well, if he had collected the facts, then he probably would have been ready to give Mephibosheth the benefit of the doubt, right? If he had done some of that work, he would have been able to give him his faithful friend the benefit of the doubt. And that's what you and I need to do in point number three. We need to be women who give others the benefit of the doubt. Assume the best of other people rather than the worst. 
I know we expect people to assume the best of us, don't we? I know I do. I want people to think of me in the best light. I even want strangers, people I don't even know on the road to think of me in the best light. And it was funny, I was actually praying about this sermon as I was driving, and God just provided a great example right then and there. I was not on my phone texting. I was driving the speed limit. I was following the rules. I was doing what I should be doing on the road. I looked over my shoulder and in the rearview mirror, and I pulled over, right, into, in the next lane. Sure enough, I totally cut someone off. Now, I don't know where this guy came from. I mean, he, I don't know. I looked, I checked, I moved, but clearly I had gone just right in front of him because, you know, his response showed me that he was not happy with my decision. You know, he pulled over the side, he's looking over at me, and he's, he pulls in front of me at the stoplight. He's just staring at me, and I'm like, do-do-do. And I kind of, you know, I, I wanted to say, I... It's totally an accident. I, I wasn't intending to cut you off and ruin your day. I mean, I wasn't trying to be mean or trying to, I own this road. I mean, I was just driving along and actually I was following the rules of the road. I, I'm sorry, I just didn't see you. I mean, this driver, I expected him to assume the best of me and he didn't. But let's go to the next day. I'm driving along and someone cuts me off. Yeah, so I start thinking, oh, you know what? They probably just didn't see me, right? Oh, it's no big deal. It's okay. Is that how we respond usually? <laughs> how dare they cut me off? Even though I just cut someone off yesterday. I mean, we jump ahead and assume the worst. That person's just trying, you know, it's Orange County drivers. What, you know, we can so easily, in just a simple situation like that, assume the worst out of people rather than give them the benefit of the doubt. And David really should have given his friend, his faithful friend, the benefit of the doubt, because let's look ahead in this story. Turn ahead with me to 2 Samuel chapter 19. We're going to see Mephibosheth's side of the story. David's now collecting the facts, but too late after he's already made a big decision and transferred all of Mephibosheth's stuff back to Ziba. He's already made that decision. He's already written off his friend. But now he's coming back into Jerusalem and he sees Mephibosheth. And we're going to look at this encounter in, in uh, chapter 19, verse 24. Follow along as I read. It says this. And Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, came down to meet the king. He had neither taken care of his feet, nor trimmed his beard, nor washed his clothes from the day the king departed until the day he came back in safety. These are signs of mourning. No trimmed beard, no washed clothes. I mean, he's dirty. He's, yuck. I mean, he's gross, right? All because he's mourning the loss of David, that David had to flee. Wow. And when he came to Jerusalem to meet the king, the king said to him, why did you not go with me, Mephibosheth? He answered, my Lord, O king, my servant deceived me. For your servant said to me, to him, I will saddle a donkey for myself that I may ride on it and go with the king. I had planned to go with the king, but I can't saddle my own donkey. I can't get my own things prepared. I need help, remember? I mean, I'm crippled. I can't just get everything together for this journey. I asked him to help me out and he deceived me. He left without me. For your servant said to him, uh, oh wait, for your servant is lame. That's verse, the end of verse 26. Verse 27, he has slandered your servant to my Lord, the king. 
So furthermore, he slandered my name. He told lies. But my Lord, the King is like the angel of God. Do therefore what seems good to you. Look, this is in your hands. Do whatever you think is best. You're like an angel of God. My, my fate, my future, my, this decision, it's in your hands. I trust whatever you're going to decide. Wow. For all my father's house, verse 28, were but men doomed to death before my Lord, the King. But you set your servant among those who eat at your table. You brought me into your family. What further right have I than to cry to the king? I'm not going to ask anything else of you. You've given me so much. And the king said to him, David said, why speak any more of your affairs? I have decided you and Ziba shall divide the land. And Mephibosheth said, oh, good. I was hoping to get all of my stuff back. Oh, phew. I was worried about that. Wait, that's not there. He says in verse 30, Mephibosheth said to the king, oh, let him take it all since my Lord, the king, has come home safely. He doesn't even, it's not even a big deal to him at all if he gets any of his stuff back. What mattered to this friend is that the king is back safely. You know, let Ziba take the land. Doesn't matter to him. What a faithful follower. This man had been mourning since David left. We hear his side of the story. Can we imagine just for a minute, what David might have been thinking about Mephibosheth initially before this, right? I can't believe another one of my friends might abandon me. I mean, after I gave him so much, what was he thinking? Why didn't he come with me? I mean, can you imagine the thoughts? We don't see David's thoughts here. Can you imagine based on his decision of transferring all of his stuff away, just kind of how David must have thought of Mephibosheth? Oh, that he would have given him the benefit of the doubt, that he would have collected these facts before the decision was made, but also that he would have assumed the best of a friend that had been faithful to him. We need to do that with the people in our lives that have proven their love and faithfulness to us, right? We need to view the words that they say, the things that they don't say, the gifts that they give, or the texts that they send. We need to view them all in the best possible light. We need to assume the best of the people that we've surrounded ourselves with rather than the worst. 1 Corinthians 13, 7 says this, Christians, as they show love to one another, are to bear all things, believe all things, hope all things, and endure all things. We're supposed to believe all things. Believing the best in someone, hoping the best in someone. Proverbs 27.10 says this, do not forsake your friend and your father's friend and do not go to your brother's house in the day of calamity. Better is a neighbor who is near than a brother who is far away. We should have friends in our day of calamity that we can turn to, that we don't forsake. We don't, it's kind of an interesting proverb here because it talks about better to go to a friend than your brother's house. Your family, they, uh, they have this obligation to take care of you, right, when you're struggling. But we should have friends that we can turn to, that we don't forsake, that we don't assume the worst of, but that we, we trust that they'll be there for us. We don't want to write off people just by a comment that we hear or something that we don't quite understand. We want to assume the best, even if 
They don't meet our high standards of how we want to be cared for. Because often, ladies, when we're low, when we're down, the way I want my, the people around me to treat me, I have a pretty high standard. Why isn't she texting me daily? Or why isn't she checking in all the time? Or why isn't she over here helping me out? I mean, doesn't she know I'm struggling? I tend to have a higher standard for those around me. And it's easy for me to kind of assume that others don't care or they're not interested. And, you know, didn't, didn't she hear me share my heart about my struggles? But ladies, we need to assume the best of the people that we love. And we want others to do that for, our, for us, don't we? We want them to assume the best of us. Maybe there are people in your life you've stopped assuming the best of. You've stopped giving the benefit of the doubt. I can think of our husbands, that we need to work hard in our minds to fight the, the thoughts that may say, oh, that he must have meant that this way, or just, just us thinking, just the worst of whatever they're doing or saying or not doing or not saying. Our roommates, friends, family, we need to be people who assume the best. Well, I wish David would have done that, don't you, with, with Mephibosheth? I wish he would have assumed that his friend had stayed loyal to him and collected all the facts to see what really went on in this situation, to keep himself from being manipulated by this man, Ziba, and breaking his oath to his best friend, Jonathan, of you know, transferring all of his stuff over and just the heartache that that added to an already low and difficult time. Well, when we've done these things, when we've even done all three of these things, we need to remember one truth and cling to one person that will never leave us, that will never forsake us. Hebrews 13, 6 says this, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. We have a perfect helper. We have a God who is there always, that we can always turn to. And unfortunately, I think when we're down, when things are tough, we tend to step back from God rather than running to him, our helper, our perfect helper who knows us, created us, loves us, sent his son for us. Oh, ladies, that we would dive into our time with the Lord. We would grow our relationship with him when we are down. That will be the best support to us. We can always cling to our steady rock who remains faithful to us no matter what we're going through. He is the one that we can count on. Well, let's pray. God, I thank you for today and I thank you for this text. I thank you uh, just the way that you teach us in your word about this life and how we are to live it in a wise manner, in a way that pleases you, in a way that navigates through even difficult times in a, in a godly way. Lord, help us to be women who are spiritually discerning, that maturing in our faith, that aren't affected by the voices around us, sending us all kinds of messages that don't line up with your word. Lord, we want to be people who come to you, who look to you for our help, our support, because we know, God, that 
There are times of loneliness. There are times of struggle. But God, you always remain faithful. Help us to draw near to you as we face those times. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Well, you are dismissed to your group.